Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, as you know, it is uh, July 4th weekend. July 4th, of course, is on Tuesday, but because of the way it falls this year, we've pretty much made it a weekend, and as a result, a lot of people are traveling and away from us this morning, my own family uh, included, but we are glad you are here. Uh, We are glad that you have made uh, this Sunday and every Sunday an opportunity to worship the Lord, because after all, it's not just America we celebrate this week. It is the fact that God has blessed America and the fact that God has blessed us to live in this country. So it's not just about remembering our nation, but it is about remembering God as the uh, uh, giver of this nation. And so I am glad that you are here uh, to worship this morning. As I go into homes and visit folks, there is a recurring theme that they like to talk to me about, and that is their concern over this nation. They're worrying about the future of our country. Uh, Sometimes we talk about the morality issues of our nation, the the path we are taking as a country. And so over and over again, I hear that from especially senior adults that I visit with talking about their concern, their anxiety over the morality and the course of our nation. We talk about the concerns spiritually of our nation. I read an article this week where for the first time in our country, those who do not ever attend church are now a larger percentage of our population than those who attend church regularly. And by the way, regularly now is deemed to be once a month. I don't find that to be regular, but that's the way the definition goes now. But for the first time in our country, Those who never attend church outpace those who attend church on a monthly basis. And so we are concerned about the morality of our nation. We are concerned about the spiritual bent of our nation. Going outside of that, we have concerns of many kinds. Worries, if you want to call them that. Worries about our finances, our health, our children's future. We are going to be talking about worry this morning as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. You may recall that last time we looked at the whole idea of materialism, where Jesus laid out that contrast between laying up treasure in heaven versus treasure on earth. And he concluded that section in verse 24 by giving us that famous statement, you cannot serve both God and money. So we talked about materialism. Loving the things that we have. And today we are basically talking about the same thing, although we are doing it from the opposite perspective. Because the passage we are going to look at this morning is not so much talking about the things we have, but it's talking about worrying about what we don't have. And this too is a universal problem. We're going to see that Jesus is talking about the basic necessities of life. Most of us, gratefully, do not have to worry about the basic necessities of life, but that does not mean that we don't worry. As we read this, we'll be talking about food and clothing, and you say to yourself, well, I've got plenty of both. 
but worry is nevertheless a universal problem. It is a fact that virtually all of us worry. I dare say there's not a single person here this morning who could honestly say that you've never worried about anything. In fact, it has become such a custom in our lives to worry that we don't even consider it a sin. In fact, we go even a step further, and in some sense, we almost attribute it as a, as a plus in our lives. Well, who wouldn't worry? Sometimes young mothers say things like, well, I'm just, I just worry about my children. I mean, who wouldn't? As if it's an attribute to be applauded, to say that I worry about my kids as any good mother would. The list of things we worry about is endless, and though someone has estimated that things we worry about can be broken down into 40% things that never happen, 30% things that happened in the past, and therefore we cannot change them anyway. So we're already at 70% of the things we worry about either never happen or we can't do anything about it because it's happened in the past. Another 12% is needless worry about our health, 10% petty and miscellaneous issues. Only 8%, according to this particular study, is worrying about things that are significant and that actually take place. So from these statistics and common sense, we conclude that worry is a waste of time. We know that it has never solved our problems. It has never made life easier. It has never enhanced our life. And yet the question then is, why then do we worry? We all know that to be true. I'm not telling you anything you don't know already. We know that worry cannot help us. In fact, it can actually hinder us. And yet we continue to worry. And we're going to look at this text this morning. And we are actually going to find in here a cure for worry. You mean to tell me that if we apply this passage of Scripture, we can walk away from here and never worry again? Well, I am saying that is the case. I'm not saying that's probably what's going to happen because I don't think most of us will apply it all the time. But there is an antidote to worrying in this text. Three times, we're going to hear Jesus say, do not worry. That's a command. Do not be anxious. And we know and have said it before that when the Bible commands us to do something, as believers, we know that we have the power to do that which the Bible commands us to do. So if not worrying is a command, and it is, then we can trust that God will equip us to fulfill that command. Now, we have a saying that goes something like this. Don't worry, be happy. You know it. Don't worry, be happy. That's not my title because that's not the antidote to worry. Instead, in this text, we're going to see don't worry, trust God. Because trusting God is, in fact, the antidote to worry. So look with me at Matthew chapter 6. We will begin in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Verse 25, do not be anxious Verse 31, do not be anxious. Verse 34, do not be anxious. We are not to worry, but we are to trust. But the first thing we need to see this morning is that we must admit that we do worry. I mean, that's the first step, isn't it, to solving any problem is to admit that we actually do, in fact, have a problem. And so we're going to start by admitting that we do worry and that we worry about life's necessities. Now, I could talk about a lot of different things this morning. This sermon could take many different approaches and many different paths because there is a lot we could deal with here. I could talk from verse 27 about how worry does not lengthen our life. Rather, it actually serves to shorten our lifespan. And you've read stories that prove that to be true. When Jesus is talking in verse 27, there's actually two different ways you can uh, interpret this. Some translations talk about uh, adding a, a single hour or span to your life. Others talk about adding a cubit to your height. So it can actually mean length of life or stature, but either way, the point is the same. Worry doesn't help us. And so we have to admit that we do worry and we worry about many things. Now, to say that we ought to admit that is also to say that there are some things that are legitimate concerns in our life. We like to use that word concern, don't we, to to say, well, it's all right to worry about this because it's just a concern. We just change the word and therefore conclude that it's no longer a problem. But there are some legitimate concerns that we ought to have. We ought to have a concern for the lost. That is, we ought to be anxious in that sense for those who do not know Christ and need to know Christ. And the fact that we are not anxious about those who don't know Christ is in itself a sin. Secondly, we ought to be concerned about the church. Paul was. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, apart from such external things, he's been talking about all the hardships that he faced, there is the daily pressure on me for the concern for all of the church. That word concern in 2 Corinthians is the same word that we find here. So we ought to be concerned about the spiritual lives of people. We ought to be concerned about the church in our day and age. And we ought to be concerned about our own personal spiritual growth. 
So the, we're going to talk the rest of the time about how we ought not to be worried. And yet we also understand that there are some things we ought to be concerned about. But we should, certainly should not worry about life's necessities. Now, again, we're not really concerned about food and clothing. Most of us have more than that, of that than we need. But there are things in our life that we are concerned about. I've mentioned some of them already. Maybe jobs or our family, the future of our children, the future of this nation, our economy, death maybe. By the time we're through this morning, you might be worried that you worry. But the fact of the matter is there are all kinds of things that we worry about. When the King James says, take no thought, it does not mean that we are not to think about these things. It's another way of saying, do not be anxious. A form of that word is found six times in the verses that we've read this morning. So Jesus is not saying that we ought not to think about tomorrow. He's not saying that we ought not to prepare for our future. He is not encouraging us to be lazy. We are to prepare and we are to plan, even though we don't know what tomorrow holds. That's just part of being wise. But we are not to worry, especially about life's necessities. Our text begins with the word therefore, which of course points us back to what we talked about last week. We are not to idolize material things. We are not to focus on those things. Remember, our focus was to be laying up treasure in heaven. And as a result, we are not to be worried about life's necessities. And the reason being is because God provides. So not only are we not to worry about life's necessity, we are not to worry about God's provisions. That is, we are to trust that God does, in fact, provide. Of all, the, of all the things that exist in this world, we are uppermost in the mind of God. And we're going to see that in this text, meaning that we can trust that God is going to provide for us. God has created us in his image, if you go all the way back to Genesis. And God has redeemed us, if you're a believer, so that you and I can have a relationship with Christ and therefore we can trust that God is going to provide for us. So number one, we simply have to admit that we have worried, that we do worry, that sometimes we worry about our future and the things that we do not have and as a result, we worry that God is going to provide. Now, we don't necessarily say that. We don't necessarily say when we are worrying, I don't believe God can provide for me. But we're going to see in this text that that is exactly what we are saying when we do worry about the things that God has already promised to give us. Which then leads us to our second point. We have to admit that we worry. And then secondly, we have to acknowledge that God is in control. Here is where these two pictures come in. I think this is my favorite part of the Sermon on the Mount. I think that's the case because it's simple. It's easy to understand. This is not a complex passage of scripture. There's not a lot of interpretive challenges here. There's not a lot of vague understanding and we have to dig down deep to figure out what's going on. This is really an easy section of scripture to understand. And secondly, I love the pictures that Jesus uses here. He says, consider the birds in the air. We're acknowledging that God is in control. How do we know that? Well, take a look at the birds. Now, if you're new here, you may not know that we used to have a problem with birds in our sanctuary. 
Every spring, we would have birds flying around in here while I was preaching. It distracted you, and it made me mad and frustrated. But hopefully, we've got that situation handled. But when Jesus, and we can just picture he's there preaching, and some birds fly by, and Jesus isn't angry, and the crowd isn't distracted, Jesus simply says, hey, look at the birds of the air. Some of you might be bird watchers. I have some relatives that are avid bird watchers. They name them, they know them all, they they know what species they are and all of that. Some of you may have bird feeders in your backyard so that you can watch birds. And Jesus says, do exactly that, look at the birds. They do not sow, they do not gather into barns, they don't heap all of these things up, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God consistently provides for the birds. Now, that doesn't mean that the bird doesn't have to work. That's why we have a saying, the early bird gets the worm. That is, we know that birds do, in fact, work for their food. Watch a mother bird in the springtime. She not only feeds herself and works hard for it, but she feeds her young birds as well. So Jesus is not saying that the birds sit on a limb and wait for a worm to fall in their beak. That's exactly what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther, the great theologian, said that uh, God doesn't drop uh, food into the bird's beaks when he was talking about this section. They have to work for it. And yet Jesus says, God provides for them. We know they work for it, but ultimately, though they do not know this, God is the one providing for the food that they need. And so he says to us, are you not much more valuable And the answer is yes, you are more valuable to God than the birds of the air. Now, I realize that some will disagree with that. Some in our day and age will say, no, we're all part of the animal kingdom and we're all just as valuable. And while I am not advocating cruelty to animals by any stretch of the imagination, we are not all equally valuable in the sight of God. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You are more valuable than the animal kingdom because God has created you in his image. And if God goes to the extent of providing for the birds in the heavens, will he not also provide for you? Can't you look at the birds and see that God is going to provide for you and thus you can trust him? The second illustration is involving flowers. Again, Jesus probably points to an adjacent field that was in bloom with wild flowers. And he says, see how beautifully they are clothed? The answer is the same. Can't you look at them and see that you are more precious than these flowers in the field? Flowers are temporary. They are beautiful while they are alive and vibrant and have the water that they need, but they quickly fade away. And when they fade away, at least in Jesus' time, they were used for fuel. That is, they were thrown into the oven, that is a baker's oven, and they were used to provide uh, fire and fuel for the food that was cooked. So they are temporary, and when they are no longer beautiful, they are cast into the oven. And so Jesus says again, you are more valuable than birds and you are more precious than flowers. And yet, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is not, don't you think you can trust him to provide for you? 
He says even Solomon, the richest of all the kings, even Solomon was not arrayed like one of these. I've recently seen several social media posts of people posting pictures of flowers and talking about how beautiful they are. Well, when we look at those flowers, it ought to remind us that we are precious in the sight of God and therefore we can acknowledge that God is in control and thus we can trust him. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, that's a theological term to talk about the fact that God is in control of all things. There is nothing and no one outside of his control. And while we acknowledge that to be true according to Scripture, we in practice often deny the very thing we profess with our lips. You see, when we worry, whether that worry is about the basic necessities of life or anything else for that matter, we are saying that we do not trust that God is in control. We are saying with our worry that we're not so certain that God is on the throne, that our world is not sustained and provided by him. I know we don't think in those terms when we do worry, but that is in essence what we are saying. And we are being reminded this morning that there's not a single thing that takes place in the life of the believer that God does not know about ahead of time and allows to happen in our life ultimately for our good and for his glory. So number one, we have to admit that we do worry. And then number two, we have to acknowledge that God is in control. But then number three, we have to accept God's promise by faith. Verse 30 gives us the problem. The last word, I know it's a phrase in the English, but in the Greek it's just one word. Oh, you of little faith. It's just the word faithless in the original. Now, he doesn't say that you don't have any faith. After all, he's, he's speaking this to his disciples. So he's talking to people that do in fact have faith. But when we worry, we are acknowledging, again, not with our lips, but in our minds, we are acknowledging that we do not have the faith that we should have. And we can have faith because we know he knows our needs. We've already talked about that in the prayer section of this Sermon on the Mount. When we, are in, when we were encouraged to pray and we were encouraged not to not to say words just to say words because we were told there that God already knows what we need before we ask. And that is the same thing we are seeing here. And when we worry, we are denying the very faith that we claim to have. The very same thing could be said of worship. When we worry, we are disallowing, in essence, our worship. We are not acknowledging that God is in control and that God has promised us these things by faith. The essence of faith is believing not only that there is a God, but believing the promises that that God has given us and placing our lives in his hands. And when we worry about our lives, we are denying all of that. We are denying that God is in control we are not believing that he's capable of handling our lives, and we are not trusting that very same thing. I've always found it somewhat amusing, really sad, that we trust God for our eternity. 
because we know we can't do anything about it. I mean, there's nothing we can do to gain eternity. And so we affirm by faith that we trust that God has saved us and is giving us eternal life with him. That's the big thing. And yet we don't trust that he can handle our tomorrow. Don't we see the, the conflict in that? That I can believe by faith that God is going to give me an eternity in his presence, but I'm not so sure he can handle what I need tomorrow. God knows your needs and he has promised to provide. That's exactly what we find here. Jesus is saying this in verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. Now again, we've seen this repeatedly. When he uses the word Gentiles there, He's talking about all who are not his children, all who are not disciples of his. It's a word used in the New Testament sometimes to refer to people outside the family of God. And may I be just blunt for a moment and say that if you're not in the family of God, you have every reason to worry. Because you don't have the promises that we have. You don't have the, the promises of the word of God that God will meet your every need and God will give you an eternity with him. So the Gentiles, that is those outside the family of faith, the, these are the things that preoccupy their minds. And rightfully so, because they have no one else in whom they can trust. But that ought not to be the case for us. We are not to live as those outside the family of God. And if you are a believer and yet you are worrying about your future in any regard, you are living as an unbeliever. That's the point Jesus is making. Because that's what the Gentiles do. Every father provides for his children, or earthly fathers do. I'm not, every father doesn't. I shouldn't have said that. I know there are some bad fathers. But as a father, it is my job to provide for my children. I would be offended if they were worrying about that. They don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. They may not like the meal I give them. And they may wish they had something else, but they don't worry about where their next meal is coming from because as a father, I have provided for them. And we need to trust God to do the same as our heavenly father. So now we need to switch our focus in conclusion and talk about how then to overcome this. I said at the very beginning that worry is a sin, that we've all acknowledged that we have done this and continue to do that. And yet there is a cure in this passage of scripture. So what is that cure? Well, the fourth thing we need to see is we need to analyze our priorities. This has been a recurring theme in the Sermon on the Mount. This is not the first time we've seen it, and it will not be the last. But we need to put God first. You notice there's a contrast there. The Gentiles seek after all of these things, verse 33, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You are to live differently because you do have a heavenly father who knows your needs and who has promised to provide. So your task is not to worry, but to put God first. To seek first the kingdom of God, first being the priority. That is, this is our greatest priority. Salvation is not about adding Jesus to our life so we can have the assurance of heaven when we die, but continuing to live our life any way we please now. Salvation is a radical transformation of all of our lives, our minds and our actions, our hearts and our will, 
so that we radically reorient everything in our lives around our first priority, and that is God's righteousness and God's kingdom, which in essence is synonymous here. He's simply talking about the fact that we need to put God first, a recurring theme in this Sermon on the Mount. And I know that sounds rather simplistic. I said this is a simple passage of Scripture. It's not hard. How do, I, how do I get over worrying about everything in my life? I trust God. I put God first and believe by faith in his promises. And I make that the priority of my life. But when it's not a priority in our lives, then we are living like the Gentiles. And that is not what we are to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all of these things shall be added unto you. Does that mean you get everything you want? No. Remember, he's talking about our needs, and we have a very hard time distinguishing between needs and wants. And so in context, and I say this all the time, but we need to understand Scripture in its context. All of these things, then, is what? The very things he's been talking about in this text. That is the basic necessities of life that God has promised to provide. If you'll seek first the kingdom of God, you put God first, then you can watch as worry flees away because you no longer have things to worry about because God is in control, because you are trusting him by faith and you are believing in his promises, then there is nothing left to worry about. You say, that sounds too easy to be true. I agree, it does. I said at the beginning, it's very simple. Don't worry Trust God. God is in control, not you. We sometimes think we are in control. And we worry when things are outside of our control. But the truth of the matter is, everything is outside of our control. But everything is inside the control of God. He is in control of all of our lives. And so really what I'm asking you today is, is not to stop worrying. That's going to be the byproduct. What I'm asking you today is to start fully trusting in God. For today, for tomorrow, and for eternity. Because again, the problem in our text, verse 30, is oh, you of little faith. When our faith increases, worry flees. When we trust in the promises of God, we don't worry about the provisions of life because we know that we have a God who loves us. You are valuable, you are precious. And therefore, God is going to provide the things that we need. So there is no need for us to worry. We can trust God. Now, again, you have to have a relationship with God first for that to be true. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Christ, or you're listening or watching online and you do not have a relationship with Christ, then the first thing you need to do is not tackle your worries. The first thing you need to do is repent of your sins and trust by faith in Christ. Because it's only as we do that, that we can then trust him and know that he's going to give us all the things that we need in this life and beyond. Because he is a good father who loves us as his children. And therefore, we don't have to worry. We can trust. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you this morning that you are a God in whom we can trust by faith. Not just for our salvation but for everything we need. That doesn't mean we get everything we want. 
It doesn't mean that life will be a bed of roses. It doesn't mean that everything will be smooth, but it does mean that we can trust that you are a God who loves us and who provides for us. Help us to trust you. We do acknowledge that we are sometimes lacking in our faith. Increase our faith. Help us to grow in our relationship with you that as a heavenly father, we can trust that all things are in your control. And we know that you will provide everything that we need, fulfilling every promise that you've ever given us for this life and for the life to come. So help us not to worry, but to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Paul writes in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, rather than anxiety, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You are dismissed.